0: I appreciate Madeline. The fir- about the first three months that her family was here, I called her Madison for about those first three months, and she never corrected me. So as you turn to uh, Proverbs, the first chapter of Proverbs, we'll be reading from verse number seven this morning. As we begin, I want to thank um, so many of you have uh, this morning and yesterday through text or through um, just through personal word. Um, offered your prayers um, to me today and i appreciate that uh there was a line in one of the songs that we sang just a few minutes ago that said you've never failed me yet and it brought back to mind of uh being about 20 22 23 years ago and being a young preacher i was young then um and somewhere different every sunday And somewhere um, every Saturday and every Sunday morning, nervous as I could be, and worried that I would somehow let the Lord down. And I would get to those churches, and I would uh, go, and I would take my place, and there would be a point to where it would be my turn to come to the pulpit and preach. And the next thing I knew, I'd be in an altar at the end, thanking God because he didn't fail me, and he gave me everything I needed. And I know that he is that for every single one of us today. And He's he is our Savior. He's our Redeemer. He's our Sustainer. He's our Strength. He's everything. And I appreciate everything that you do to model that in your lives as a Christian. Um, had an interesting uh, weekend. We went to Shaco on Friday. Until uh, Friday about lunch. And then till about lunch yesterday we were at Shaco doing... Uh, training at the summit training and do a lot of great information there i encourage you next year if you didn't get to go this year i encourage you to go but on the way home Bree and i stopped and got uh, milkshakes at chick-fil-a and we were going back through oxford and i made this statement i said Bree, you know i don't believe that chick-fil-a has the best chicken sandwich i've ever had And she looked back at me and she said, I don't know that you can go to heaven with that belief. (laughs) So um, pay attention there, Chick-fil-A, that's that's God's chicken, so you be careful what you say. Uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verse number 7 we will uh, this uh, this month of august we will do a sermon series entitled back to school this morning our sermon is entitled how to have a good beginning it comes from proverbs chapter one and verse number seven and the bible says this the fear of the lord is the beginning of knowledge fools despise wisdom and instruction now as i began begin to um study and prepare for this morning and begin to look at that word wisdom and i was begin to pull resources together and think about what wisdom, all that it entails, and to think about how we want to have knowledge and we want to have wisdom in our lives. We want to know how to be the best uh, husband or wife that we can be, the best parent we can be, the best Christian, the best uh, minister, the best uh, Sunday school teacher. We, w- we want to have those, that knowledge. And I began to understand that there is a difference in knowledge. There is knowledge that is man's knowledge. And that knowledge that is man's wisdom is, is this. Man's wisdom is the art of learning how to succeed in life. It's simply man trying to learn how to succeed in this life. It is trying to get the most out of the limited time that we have here, and it is temporary. There is a lot of great wisdom and a lot of great knowledge in our world. There are a lot of great things that we have accomplished, but if you think about it, Man's wisdom is still very limited. We have the ability to send a man to the moon and to bring that man back safely to Cape Canaveral, but we can't make a cell phone that doesn't drop a phone call in between here and Jacksonville on Highway 21. So we still are limited in our wisdom and what we know and what we can accomplish. Man's wisdom is about this life, and it is about how to get the most out of this temporary life that we have. But then there's God's wisdom. And God's wisdom says this. God's wisdom means that God always chooses the best goals and the best means to those goals. God has the best goal for us. God has our best intentions. God has the best plan for our lives. And not only does he have that, but he has the best way for us to get to that goal and to achieve that goal god's decisions about what he will do are always wise decisions that is they always will bring about the best results from god's perspective and they will bring about those results through the best possible means you know what our objective is you know what our role in all this is our role is simply to trust and obey Our role in God's wisdom and how it applies to our life is to trust God and to trust the plan that he has for our life, to trust the end goal that he has for our life, and to trust that he has the means to get us there and they are the best for us. God's wisdom is so much higher than man, uh, and God's wisdom confounds man. We see God's wisdom in the plan of redemption. God didn't choose an easy way that, that men would have chosen. If if men would have chosen the path of redemption, it it would have been about our works. It would have been about our good deeds. It would have been about our religious activities. It would have been about working our way to try to get to God. But God had another plan. In God's wisdom, he chose a cross. He chose the cross of Calvary, and he chose to send his son to this earth to live a sinless life and go to a cross and to be our substitute and our sacrifice there on the cross that should have been ours. Now, that confounds the world today. When you give an explanation of Christianity and when you break it down for the average person who doesn't know anything about Christianity, doesn't that seem odd to them? That that God, in his wisdom, would choose his son and send his son to, to be our sacrifice. That confounds the world, and it is a wisdom that is so much greater than them. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 27. He said, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose a way that seems foolish to the world, but when we come to realize how real it is, And when we come to realize the truth of the cross and the truth of the gospel, it shames us that we were ever thinking that there was another way other than the way that God had for us. As we look this morning, we talk about that first section there in this verse that says the fear of the Lord. Now, it's not that kind of fear. The fear of the Lord is not that kind of fear that we're thinking about most of the time. I looked a lot this week and looked at people's fears and what people are afraid of in this life. Some of the things that most people are afraid of are the fear of failure, the fear of rejection, and the fear of commitment. One of the things that astounds me is that more people are afraid of public speaking than they are afraid of death. More people are more afraid of, pe- of speaking in public than they are of dying. And, and I thought about back to high school, and I had friends, and we had in, in each of our English classes, there was a point in time where we had to stand up in front of a class and give a report. We had to read a report about a book that we had read or something similar to that. And I had friends who would do their very best to make as good as they could, to make as good a graze as they could on tests and on homework assignments because there was no way that they were going to get up in front of a room and speak. I have watched it come to their turn, and I have watched them say no and take a zero instead of going to the front of a room and speaking. I never had that problem, believe it or not. I I could speak anywhere and talk to anybody, so the Lord blessed me in that. But the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, in this seventh verse here, it is the foundation of all of the Proverbs. The quest for wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Now, here's what it is not. This fear is not a fear and trembling. It's not a hiding from God in terror type of emotion. It's not me hearing the word God and, and, and knowing that God is there, and it's not me thinking that God is, is there in the cosmos and he's just waiting on me to make a mistake so that he can swap me from above. It's not that type of fear. This is a, when, when we see the greatness of God, and when we understand the greatness of God, we come into a reverential awe and admiration of God. To the point that we are submissive to his will for our lives and we live in joyful obedience to him. Have you ever been just in complete awe of God and his creation? I read a story this week. Um, it's, it says this. Um, William Beebe was an explorer and a friend of President Theodore Roosevelt. Often when he visited the president... The two men would go outdoors at night to see who could first locate the Andromeda galaxy. Then as they gazed at the tiny smudge of distant starlight, one of them would recite, That is the spiral galaxy of Andromeda. It is as large as our Milky Way. It is one of 100 million galaxies. It is 750,000 light years away. It consists of 100 billion suns, each larger than our sun after that thought would sink in president roosevelt would flash his toothy grin and say now i think we're small enough let's go to bed but think about this here's what we know today now we know that the andromeda is 2.6 million light years away and consists of one trillion stars about twice the number of our galaxy and while the numbers are only estimates and they keep getting larger One German supercomputer simulated that number at 500 billion galaxies not long ago. Do you feel small? Are you in awe of God's creation and what God has accomplished and what what God can do? And to know that his universe and and all of the galaxies are ever-expanding because I believe in my own limited wisdom... I believe that from the moment that God said, let there be light, I believe that his voice is still echoing through the universe. And I believe that everywhere that voice is still echoing, things are still being created by that voice. That's how awesome I believe that God is. And that's the way that I see him. Paul said this to the church at Rome in, in Romans eleven thirty three through 36. He said, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways for who has known the mind of the lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid for for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever amen no one's ever given god counsel sometimes we think we have sometimes we've tried to sway god's mind and tell him what we think is best but no one's ever given God counsel. God doesn't need our counsel. God's wisdom is so much greater and his creation is so much greater than we can understand. John Piper said it this way, if you don't see the greatness of God, then all the things that money can buy become very exciting. If you can't see the sun, you will be impressed with a street light. If you've never felt thunder and lightning, you'll be impressed by fireworks. And if you turn your back on the greatness of God uh, and majesty of God, you'll fall in love with a world of shadows and short-lived pleasures. In other words, he's saying this, don't get caught up looking at the temporary pleasures of this life and miss the eternal glory of Almighty God. We can get so focused on things here, and we can get so caught up in the things around us, And we can let those things overwhelm us, and we can let those things weigh us down. And what we should be looking at all the time is the overwhelming, wonderful awe of the Almighty God. And knowing that just as the song said, He's never failed me yet, and never will He fail me at all. But we see that the fear of the Lord is only the beginning. Solomon goes on to say that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge how many of you remember your very first day of school some of y'all are really old then y'all can't remember that far back I remember my very first day of school it was September 1972 Southside Elementary School the old Southside building over here and in the basement of that building we were the first group my class was the first group Kim you were there with me we were the first group of people Uh, students who uh, attended school in the basement there at at uh, Southside Elementary School and I remember that first day of school like it was yesterday I remember going in back then your mom walked you in and left you at some certain point a lot of times they had to ask your mom to leave Um, but there you know you you walked in and then the teachers took over and there you were and it was so much different the first thing I realized was I'm not the center of attention here at home with mother in the daytime I'm the center of attention she fixes my meals. she brings things to me she does everything for me these people are expecting me to do stuff on my own and not only that I'm having to share with all these other people and here's what I here's what I surmised on that first day of school I didn't like it and I didn't want to go back i saw a cartoon yesterday that uh, of a young boy who was coming home from his first day of school and his mother said how did how how was your first day Uh, she knows she said what did you learn today and he said obviously not enough they want me to go back tomorrow (laughs) but i remember that but here's what happened i settled in and i began to learn and learning was a progression Learning was, uh, learning, uh, we learned our colors, we learned our ABCs, we learned our numbers, and then it began to grow and it progressed. And guess what? I've graduated two times, but I still am learning every single day. There's not a day goes by that I don't learn something, and the things that I most want to learn are the knowledge and the wisdom of God. Proverbs 1 and verse 7 shows that the knowledge God gives continues and progresses. He says the the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's not the the end all, but it's the beginning of how our knowledge grows. The point where we come to a reverential awe for God is where we begin to understand life and the world around us with God's wisdom. Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse number 9. He said, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through jesus christ to the glory and praise of god you see paul's prayer there and paul's prayer is a progression there paul begins to pray and he says yeah i pray that your love may abound more and more when we have that all of god And when we have that reverential awe and that that type of fear for the Lord, we have an increase in our love for Him. And then Paul says that I want you to grow in knowledge and all discernment. That reverential awe, that love, increases our knowledge and our discernment so that we can approve what is excellent. Do you know what God is? God is excellent. God is love, but God is also excellent. Look at His creation, look at the universe. Look at how he orders everything. Look at the breakdown of your body and the organs and the cells and everything that God put in place. God is excellent. And God deserves, uh, he, God wants us to strive for excellence here in this life. He says, I want you to grow and progress and be pure and blameless. You've been forgiven of your sins. Now you should grow in holiness. And then he says, you should be filled with the fruit of Righteousness. He would tell the church at Galatians what those fruits of the Spirit are and he would list those out for them. And he ends this way to the glory and praise of God. Do you know what our main objective is in this life? Our main objective should be that in everything we do that God gets the glory and that God is glorified through everything we do. And then we see his admonition. There at the end of the verse, there's a break there. And he says this, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know that the world despises God's wisdom. The world despises God's wisdom. And the world despises all of the things of God and all of, the, uh, all of the word of God. It looks at it as being not the way that the world should be ordered. But we know that if we follow God's word and if we live God's word in our lives, that our lives are so much better and so much so much more in order than what the world system would have us to have fools despise wisdom and instruction if you remember back in school there were these kids who always sat at the back of the classroom those kids who always sat at the back of the room and they just kind of tuned out zoned out and did their own thing and did whatever they wanted to do and they They didn't care about the knowledge that was being given or the wisdom that was being given or anything that was being said because they didn't feel like they needed it, they didn't feel like it was what was important to them. Now, I will say this: I was never one of those kids because after the first week of every class that I was ever in, I was moved to the front seat in the middle of the room, and that was my that was my seat for the rest of the the year. Right? And all I can figure is the teachers needed help. So, But I wonder about those people who sat there and who despised wisdom and who despised instruction, and I wonder about their lives today. So many people in this world despise wisdom, and they despise instruction, and they despise and they put away God's instruction and God's word and God's wisdom for their lives. See, God offers us the greatest gift that's ever been offered. So many people reject it out of that despising of wisdom and instruction. God offers us salvation through his Son, Jesus Christ. God the Father offers us that salvation through God the Son, Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this, because if you confess with your mouth that jesus is lord and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you will be saved for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved that doesn't seem all that hard does it that doesn't seem all that difficult it's really quite simple for with the heart we believe and we're justified what do i believe I believe that God the Father sent His Son, Jesus, to this earth to be born of a virgin and to live a completely sinless life. And I believe that He lived that completely sinless life because someone had to be the fulfillment of all of this section of the Bible, the law. And Jesus was the only one who could fulfill the law by living a sinless life. And I believe that Jesus went to a cross at a place called Calvary and that his blood was shed, and then it was shed for me, and it was shed for the choir, and it was shed for everyone here, and shed for every man, woman, boy, or girl who's living. I believe that he died there, and I believe that they put him in a tomb, and that on the third day he rose from that tomb, and that the power of God raised him back to life. And I also believe that he ascended some days later, and that he's at the right hand of the Father now and that he prays for me every day. The Bible says he makes intercession for me. You want some good news? Things are getting you down and things are weighing you down. Jesus Christ is praying for you. I believe that with all my heart. And so there was a moment in my life where I said this, I said, I believe all of those things, but I've always believed all those things. I've always held those things to be true, but I've never confessed with my mouth, and I've never told publicly that I believe those things and that I need Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I need God to forgive me of my sins through what Jesus did for me on the cross. You know what? When I did that, I was no longer a fool. Now, some of you may think me a fool, and some of you may think me foolish. But in God's eyes, I'm no longer a fool. God looks at me now, and he looks at me through the lens of the cross at Calvary. And when God sees me now, he no longer sees a sinner condemned. God sees Jesus. God sees his son, Jesus, who took my place. And he sees the righteousness that he was given me. I gave Jesus my sins, and he gave me God's righteousness. And I want to tell you, I would be a fool to, to despise that. I would be a fool to reject that, but yet people do. Second Corinthians six, 2 Corinthians 6.2 says this, that today is the day of salvation. Every day is the day of salvation. So many people put it off. And so many people set it aside. And so many people say, well, I have the rest of my life, or I, I have these things to accomplish, and then I have all this to do, and then I'll have time for Jesus. Solomon wrote something further about the fool and about about what happens to the fool in some cases. At the end of chapter 1 in verse number 26, this is what God says about those who reject him, those who reject his wisdom. He says, "I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind," When distresses and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despise all my reproof. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their field of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. The most foolish thing that will happen in the world today will happen in church pews all across the world or in houses where the gospel is being preached all across the world or on streets where the gospel is being preached around the world. The most foolish thing that will happen today is that someone will hear the proclamation that I just gave about Jesus. And they will listen to it and they will hear it And the Holy Spirit will speak to their heart and point them to Jesus. And the most foolish thing that will happen in the world today is that they will say no. That they will reject the wisdom and counsel of God and they will reject the plan of salvation that God had intended for them before the world was ever created. That's the most foolish thing that will happen in all the world today. It won't happen in Congress. It won't happen in Parliament. It won't happen in a crime-ridden street. But it'll happen in churches. And it'll happen where men are proclaiming the gospel truth. I watched a preacher earlier this morning, a friend of mine, and I watched him give one of the most heartfelt invitations that I've ever seen. I watched him as he explained the gospel in a way that left no doubt as to what the gospel would do for a man or woman's life. And I watched him stand there in the altar at the end of the service alone with tears in his eyes. I, I know him well enough to know because he knew that there were people sitting there who were rejecting the salvation of God. And he knew that these people will someday meet calamity in separation with, from God for all of eternity in a place called hell I'll do the funeral this afternoon of a woman that through her life and through the fruit of what I saw in her life and through her own testimony sitting and talking to me about her salvation I'll do the funeral of a woman who I have have no doubt in my mind that when her life ended here it began in heaven and you know what I have no doubt somewhere along the way today I may meet the same fate. But Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I know that my last breath here will be my first. My soul will be face to face with Jesus. I'll lay this old body down and my soul will go to be with my Savior. And I wouldn't come back if you offered me everything in the world. But I also know this. I've been with those who at the end of their life had no certainty of salvation. I've been with those who at the end of their life had no, had no security and no, no knowledge of, of salvation. And I've been with those who at the end of their life would plead and, 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 and beg with God. And through, the, through what I witnessed and through what I saw, it was too late. It was too late. Don't be foolish this morning with the one thing that matters more than anything. What would it gain? What would, it, what would be my gain if I gained the whole world but I lost my soul? What, what would be the good in that? This morning, Darren's coming, and we're going to have a time of invitation.